May God speak to you through today's message from Rob Morris, CEO of Love 146. Ah, good morning, Parkway. And uh, yeah, Merry Christmas. And same to uh, you at the North Campus. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for having us back. I loved my time here uh, last year. I remember leaving here just feeling like I got a shot of adrenaline just through your um, encouragement. Those of you that are unfamiliar with Love 146, we are an international human rights organization working to end the trafficking and exploitation of children. Um, contrary to popular opinion, um, slavery did not end with something called the Emancipation Proclamation. It still continues to this day. It's estimated um, that there are about 20 million slaves, um, at least 20 million slaves alive on the planet today, most of them, uh, or many of them being women and children, um, some of the most vulnerable um, in so many cultures. And we're working to stop that from happening, and uh, we're working to care for those that it has happened to, specifically children. So thank you um, for your extravagant generosity in helping us do that. And, and I think this is kind of a cool little, um, little fact in that since you've been supporting our work, um, you have given more to our work in supporting our work than any church in America, which is a pretty radical, yeah, it's a pretty radical thing because of that. And you know, the word extravagant, I don't use that word very much. And, and, and it means beyond reason. Your giving and your support has been beyond reason and incredible encouragement. And because of that extravagance, this year we have reached more children than we've ever reached in our 12-year history um, as an organization. Um, our prevention education programs that we bring into schools right here um, in the United States, um, since 2010, we've reached 16,000 children. Our goal is to get to children before traffickers do. We want to stop this from happening to children. We've reached uh, over 16,000 kids since 2010. Um, just this year alone, we've reached almost half of those children just this year, almost a little over 7,000 children, many of them right here um, in Houston, Texas. And that's because of your generosity that enables us to reach that many children. And just this year alone, because of your generosity, you've helped us um, launch three new survivor care programs in three new locations. We've been able to launch a boys' shelter this isn't something that just happens to girls. It also happens to boys. We opened our first boys' home in the Philippines. We opened another boys' home in the UK this past September, and we have begun for the first time caring for survivors of child trafficking here in the United States of America this year. Thank you for making that a reality, and it's because of your generosity that it's possible. We deeply appreciate that. Um, if you uh, have your message notes that I think you all have, uh, let's look at the verses that we're going to hit on today together. Um, there's a whole passage here, but I want to concentrate specifically on a couple of verses here, starting at verse 13. Um, this passage of Scripture is a really familiar passage, mostly because of the radical miracle that takes place here. If you look in your Bibles, oftentimes you'll see headlines over your chapters, and the headline is usually the sensational or radical thing that took place in that chapter, and so it gets the headline. But sometimes I think those headlines sort of eclipse some of the more subtle, miraculous, and beautiful things that are happening um, within those, uh, those passages. And I want to concentrate this morning on a couple of those beautiful things that, uh, that happen here. So in this particular chapter, in this passage, the headline is usually the feeding of the 5,000. Because that's a pretty radical thing. A couple of fish, some loaves of bread, and 5,000 people are fed. It should get headlines. But I want to concentrate this morning on something else. This is the story of when John the Baptist was brutally murdered. He was beheaded. 
Um, and the disciples, John's disciples go and tell Jesus what happened. And starting at verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. To understand the reaction here of Jesus to this news, I think we have to understand a little bit about the, the relationship between Jesus and John, in that they were tight, they were cousins, but they were more than cousins. There was a tight relationship there that goes back to even before either of them met each other, before either of them took their first breath. Do you remember the story when Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John, and Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, Mary comes into the room, and as she comes into the room, Elizabeth says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Isn't that beautiful? That man, here's the unborn John reacting in the presence of the unborn Jesus with joy. So before they were even born, you have this tight connection that happens between them. And, and who knows what their childhood looks like? We, we have no idea, it's not written, but we assume that just because they were cousins, maybe they had family reunions, maybe John and Jesus shared childhood secrets and, and, and little inside jokes as boys and cousins growing up together. We don't know what that looks like, but later on in life, you still see this connection as you see Jesus giving shout outs about, about John saying, man, among those born among women, there's no one greater than you. You have John saying, man, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. There's this connection. And so you can understand more of the impact. And see, we read through these passages sometimes and we, and we forget the human elements that are involved here. But this is so powerful what takes place here. Jesus is impacted by horrific news. Your friend, your, your cousin that you've known since before you were born has been brutally murdered. And he reacts the way any of us would react to horrific news. Some of you have experienced this maybe even this year. News that you never wanted to hear. You hear that news and you're impacted by it. Here's Jesus reacting like any of us would. I think sometimes we have an easier understanding or ability to grasp the divinity of Jesus than we do his humanness. And I love in this passage, you see the absolute, utter humanity of Jesus in that he goes off and he says, I just have to be alone. My cousin's been killed. I gotta get away. And he leaves his disciples, he gets in a boat and he takes off the only place that he could find to be alone so he can grieve like any human being would grieve at horrific news. You know, and, and not only was he dealing with the grief and the heartbreak of the loss of his cousin, but also the significance of what this means for him now in that John was the preparer of the way for him. John was hacking out the way in the wilderness for Jesus, and now he's out of the picture. And so now there's that also understanding of the sense of being alone without John. So he's dealing with that significance and also his own grief. He gets, he gets away. And this is what happens next. Hearing of this... The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And we know by reading this passage, or we assume by reading this passage, especially the title of it, that there were 5,000 people in this crowd. But there were way more than that. If you continue through this passage, you'll see that it says there were 5,000 people, not including women and children. So there are 5,000 men in this crowd, but biblical scholars believe that including women and children, this crowd was probably closer to about 30,000 people. So picture this scene, if you would, of 30,000 people on the shores trying to figure out where Jesus' boat is going to land so they can intercept him there because of their own need. We've heard good things about you. John's no longer there because in this crowd were John's disciples, but he's gone. It's like, it's all about you now. And they're trying to figure out where his boat was going to land. Listen, if that was me in that boat, in my own heartbreak, in my own grief, 
I would have been an all day long chase. I would have been heading this way, the crowd would have been there, I would have gone the other way and the crowd would have had a shot. Picture this scene of 30,000 people, basically a stadium full of people making their way along the shore trying to figure out where Jesus' boat is going to land. And when I started thinking about this crowd, these were people of deep need looking out of their desperation for some kind of help. And in reality, when you think about a crowd of 30,000 people anywhere, picture a stadium full of people, you're gonna have needy people, you're gonna have uh, uh, all kinds of people in that crowd. So I actually wrote down the kinds of people who I think would have been in this crowd. This is who would have been there in amongst that 30,000. The brokenhearted, the sick, the depressed, the hopeless, the suicidal, the hungry, the poor, the abused, the curious, the needy, the oppressed, the excluded, the exhausted, the confused, the isolated, the devastated, the despairing. If I had lived back then, you would have seen me in that crowd. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, many of us in this room could picture ourselves, and maybe you're there right now, man, that's me. You just labeled me when you just read one of those things. I'm that person, I'd be in that crowd. Here's the crowd, and here's the real reality to this. Understand this, if you're like me, the last thing you ever wanna see in your own place of need is another needy person, right? Wanting something from you, right? If you're in your own place of heartbreak, your own place of deep need, the last thing you want is a needy person coming saying, I need, I want, I need, I need. You just want to get away from me. Can I have a moment to myself in my own grief, my own heartbreak, my own need? And here's where this gets really interesting because as we go on here, it says Jesus landed. In order to land, it means he had to have turned his boat toward that crowd. It's not like Jesus was surprised when he ended up on the shore and saw 30,000 people, right? He would have seen 30,000 people from miles away. So it's not like his boat landed and was like, whoa, what are you guys doing here? No, he saw this crowd. He saw the madness of humanity. He saw humanity in all of its mess. And the crazy thing is, is he turned his boat toward it because of this thing called compassion. It says he landed and he had compassion on them. And this just challenged me. I'm like, what kind of compassion is this? Because everything instinctively in me wants to go in the opposite direction of the madness and the mess of, of, of all that is going on and everything. And yet Jesus moves toward it. He actually had to deliberately move his boat toward the mess of humanity. And so I started to dig into this whole concept of compassion. What kind of compassion is this? This is more than just a feeling. Right? Sometimes we, we dilute this word compassion, like, man, you gotta, I, I feel compassionate. And most of the time, we're actually talking about pity there, because compassion goes way deeper than just a feeling. So I started to dig into this word. What does it mean? What does compassion mean? And there are a lot of different interpretations, a lot of different words for compassion in the Bible, but there were two that really struck me. And what's interesting is, in the New Testament, at least 12 times when it uses the phrase compassion, it's in the context of being moved with compassion. It says Jesus was moved with compassion. The word move there insinuates action attached to it. It doesn't say Jesus felt compassionate. It says he was moved with it. And in his case, and in this particular case, he moved toward the mess. His compassion moved him. There was an action attached to it saying, I don't just feel something, I'm actually moving toward the objects of compassion, if you would. So I'm like, what does this word compassion mean? So I found two things that really struck out at me. The word compassion is derived from a Greek word for bowels or intestines, the gut, the deepest part of a person. It's where we come up with phrases like when, we're, when we read the newspapers and some of us even in the last couple of months looking at the news, there's that feeling that comes up in you where you say, this is sickening. It's sickening. 
There's something in me. My gut is wrenched by what I'm seeing here. That's the birthplace of compassion. It comes from the bowels, the gut. So what's happening in here is basically the sight in front of Jesus, the madness and mess of humanity, actually makes him sick to his stomach. It makes him want to vomit. There's a gut-level reaction. He looks on the crowd, his gut is wrenched, his heart is torn open at the reality of this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Have you ever felt that gut wrench? Because that is the birthplace of compassion. I felt it, I remember that one of the first times that I felt it was 12 years ago before there, we started the organization Love 146. We connected with um, a, another organization made up of criminal investigators who go into brothels undercover and do these investigations and get kids out of these horrific situations. And they invited us in on one of their undercover operations. And I remember this particular night standing in a brothel for the first time in this undercover investigation, looking through these glass windows at young children having matching red dresses on, having even the dignity of a name stripped from them, just numbers pinned to their dresses. And on this side of the glass, I was standing shoulder to shoulder with predators who were purchasing these kids for absolutely horrific reasons. And seeing the looks in the eyes of these kids, they were completely, utterly emotionally shut down. They were like little robots staring at these crackling little television sets with children's cartoons playing on them, just completely devoid of life, except for one girl. My guess was that she was probably new to the brothel and that she was, in the, she was the only one not looking at the children's cartoons. She was staring at us through the glass. There was still this fight left in her eyes. There was still a light on. There was still life there. Her number was 146. And I remember when I stood there that night, it was the gut wrench. It was this, ah, oh, in the deepest part of me. This is not the way it's supposed to be. She should not be here. Just coming here this week, I came here, I flew here on Thursday. I get an email from my director of aftercare while I was on the plane. I open up the email and she says, we just had a rescue take place in a community that we've been working in, in the Philippines, and we just brought the youngest child ever into our care that we've ever brought into our care, two years old. Did you just hear the, that gasp? That's a proper response. That is the birthplace of compassion. It's the gut wrench. Ugh. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It's what Jesus felt that caused him to move his boat toward it instead of away from it. We felt it this year and that our programs and our work have expanded so fast this year, but our funding has actually dropped off. And for the first time in our history as an organization, this year we've had to turn away referrals of children that have come to us and we don't have the resources to take them in. And we felt organizational-wide the impact of the reality of that, this ah, the gut wrench, that is the birthplace of compassion. But for, fortunately, compassion doesn't just end there with the gut wrench. It goes on, and I found this other meaning for the word compassion. It comes from the Hebrew word meaning womb, the place where new life springs from. And so really what's happening here on the hill is Jesus shows up in compassion. Not only does he feel the gut wrench, but the sight wrecks him to the point that the same muscles that, that, that make him want to be sick now begin to turn into labor contractions. And those labor contractions cause him, as you see, read through this passage, he walks into this crowd and for the first time, people who had no hope are seeing hope for the first time. Hope is being birthed. There's a laboring taking place in the midst 
of people who are in desperate need of a touch of compassion. People who felt utterly alone are now spending the day, literally, with Emmanuel, God with us. People who thought that God was untouchable are physically being touched by the holy God. People who were hungry are now being fed. People who were broken are being made whole. A radical thing is taking place there. I think oftentimes when it comes to us and seeing this example of Jesus, some of us don't even go to the first place of the gut wrench because we're afraid to go there. So we numb ourselves, we distract ourselves with technology, with busyness, with entertainment, with gadgets, with medication, because man, I don't want to go there, it's too painful. I got enough stuff of my own. I love Henry Nouwen defines compassion. He says, compassion means full immersion into the condition of being human. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? God, incarnation, fully immersing himself into the condition of being human, and he calls us to do the same and be about the same kind of work. And so, man, at the end of the day, compassion, if it just stops at the gut wrench, or it never goes there, it never happens, but if it just stops at the gut wrench, it's an abortion of compassion. It, doesn't, it needs to go the full course to the place where we allow ourselves to be affected by the pain of our neighbor to the point that that gut wrench begins to move into labor contractions, bringing forth something new. If I stopped at just the gut wrench the night that I stood in a brothel for the first time in this undercover investigation, man, we wouldn't have a Love 146. The work that we're doing, we'd not have reached these thousands of children in America or all over the world. We would not have a safe place where this two-year-old now is in the process of getting her life back and her childhood back. But we allowed that compassion to move to its full extent. And when we begin to follow God in that, anything can happen. Hope begins to invade despair. Peace interrupts violence. Light dispels darkness. Love triumphs over hate. And justice prevails against injustice justice. You guys, there's a lot I don't know about God, but one thing I do know is that he is deliberate when it comes to having compassion. And I don't know where you're at today, but there's some of you I know in a room this size that are in desperate need of having that touch of compassion. This one thing I do know about God is that he moves towards you. He moves towards you. He's not afraid of the mess. He moves towards you with this gut wrench of feeling your pain. He is one that is connected and associates with that kind of pain and he moves towards you. And the radical thing with that is that he doesn't just end it there, he calls us to the same work. So during this Christmas season, I wanna encourage you to not only experience the God of compassion showing up for you, turning himself towards you and moving towards you in your own mess, but also understand that he's calling you to do the same for others. So a question to ask ourselves during this Christmas season is who do I need to move toward? Is it a family member who just needs to know that there is a God of compassion and, and that, uh, that God is displaying himself through humans who move in that same compassion? Is it a neighbor who desperately needs to know that there is a God of compassion that is very real and still lives today through human beings? Um, is it somebody in your city? The work that you've done with us and partnering with us has shown that you guys are those that move toward compassion. You've had compassion on these children um, that we're, we're able to partner with and everything and you move toward them and it makes all the difference in the world and we appreciate that. I wanna end this morning um, by sharing with you a video and, uh, about a girl who had gone through our care, our survivor care. Um, she 
she had been rescued out of this stuff. She, she ended up being trafficked when she was 12 years old. Her name is Remy, and we think it's really important for survivors that we work with to tell their own stories in their own words. So she's gonna do this, and what I want you to understand when you watch this is a few things. First, her story is still not finished. It continues. She has good days, she has bad days. This is one portion of her story, but I want you to understand you're going to feel in the beginning of her story when she shares the pain part of it, you're going to feel that gut wrench, and it's okay, go there. But you're going to see compassion and at, because it's ran its full course in her life and continues, you will see the hope that is broken into the dark world um, that she was living in and it's such a radical thing. And when you experience that, when you see that, I want you to also celebrate because you as a church, because of your generosity, have been a part of writing her story. And because of your ongoing generosity with this work, you're helping to write the stories of children that we're serving now and children that we're going to serve into the future. So thank you so much again from the bottom of our, our hearts. This is Remy's story. To protect the identity of a survivor of trafficking, this video and its accompanying audio cannot be published online in any form. For more information about Love 146 or to watch other videos, visit love146.org backslash videos. That is tough to watch, isn't it? But yet, that's just one story among so many. And by giving to the annual Christmas offering, we can help those kinds of things from ever happening by preventing human trafficking for girls and then also helping provide a place where girls who've been trafficked can find life again. That's what the annual Christmas offering is about. So find your connection card. Let's all take some next steps together, if you would, please. Here's the first. When I experience a gut wrench, I will lean into it instead of pushing back from it. Would you make a commitment to do that? that you would use that as God's sign to you that he wants you to do something to get involved in some capacity. Next, when God gives me the opportunity this Christmas, I will demonstrate compassion just as Christ is compassionate. Next, I commit to pray for Love 146 this next year. Now, if you check that box, we've written a note there, just text the, the, the word Love 146 to 411247. And what they'll do is they will text you back with uh, prayer requests and you can pray with, for them as soon as you get them on your phone. Um, I mean, you can take care of that next step like right now if you want to, but check that box if you would, please. Next, I'm also interested in volunteering alongside Love 146. So please have someone contact me by email. Uh, Love 146 has a task force that you can be involved in. Now look, that doesn't mean they're gonna go raid brothels, okay? That's not what's gonna happen. But it does give you a chance to volunteer, to help them with their organization. And if you'll check this box, then they, we will email you information of how you can volunteer and be a part of one of these task force. Um, so make sure your email is on the front of the card if you check that box, because I can't email you if your email's not there. You will not receive the email till probably after the first of the year. So just know that we haven't forgotten you if you don't get it by tomorrow, okay? But you'll, you'll get an email from it, from either us or Love146 about how to get involved. Next, I will give to this year's annual Christmas offering before January 31st. I'm not asking you for the amount. I want you to ask God what the amount is. You go home, you pray, you ask God how much he wants you to give. 
And then whatever he tells you to give, give it. But would you make a commitment to give? We're supporting three organizations, Love 146, Still Creek Ranch, and World Vision. We talked about those, all of them last week in, last, in the, that message. But the lion's share of that money is gonna go to Love 146. Our goal this year is $150,000. That's 50% bigger than last year's goal. So we've got a big goal out there in front of us. Would you help by doing what God asked you to do to give to the love offering and help girls like Remy? And girls like Remy from ever being trafficked in the first place. Next. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. Look, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to save you, that's where it starts. That's where Remy's healing began when she, after she was rescued, became a Christ follower. And so if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and then pledge your life to following him, you're not a Christ follower, not yet, but you could become one right now. There's a sample prayer for how to do that at the bottom of your message notes. If you've never prayed that prayer before, I'm gonna give you a chance to do it right now. In fact, I'm gonna give everybody a chance to pray and ask God to help you follow through with the next steps that you've taken. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, and if you're ready to pray that prayer, do it now. But everybody, pray through the next steps that you've taken. Ask God to help you follow through with them. Just do that during these moments. Father, I want to say thank you for Love 146 and for Rob and his team and all those that work to prevent girls from being trafficked and rescue those girls. Lord, I pray for divine appointments this year that you would rescue so many more. And that little girls who are, who are being targeted, God, would never be trafficked in the first place, that you would prevent that from happening through the efforts of Rob and Love 146 and help us as your people at Parkway Fellowship to help make those things happen, to prevent trafficking and to rescue those who've been trafficked and to restore those who've been victims of trafficking. And bring us back safely next week so that we can hear more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.